Hello, I'm Rick Ward, founder of Orbit's Edge. Hi, I'm Ralph Dinsley, known as Dins. I'm the executive director and founder of Northern Spaces Security. I'm Dr. Christopher Newman. I'm professor of space law and policy at the University of Northumbria in Newcastle in the United Kingdom. I'm also international space law advisor for Cold Star Technologies. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. I listen to the Cold Star Project. Once you start working with leaders in an organization, if you want to develop those leaders, if you want to develop that type of organization, it's no longer about skills. They tend to have the skills. But the difference between a good leader and the best leader, a good organization and best organization, it's behaviors. It's behaviors. Welcome back to the Cold Star Project. I'm your host, Jason Canigan, the founder of this thing, Cold Star Technologies, a data science and process improvement firm. And I am here with Paul Rokens. Super excited to have him. He is a Dutch consultant, president of Agrippa Consulting. Uh, Paul doesn't know this, but I've followed him for a long time, uh, and it took me about a year to get the nerve up to ask him to be on the show. Now, this has become a space industry show, but I do not want you guys ignoring uh, all the organizational behavior stuff that you need, you need to grow a good company. It's not enough just to have technical things. So I wanted Paul here on um, because he has a unique perspective that I like, and, and he's kind of in line with uh, Paul Taylor, the lazy project manager. Uh, Joe uh, Paris, who I've had on from the Operational Excellence Society, that sort of category of folks who uh, we, we all think alike, <laughs> these folks and me. And, uh, and I know that we need to bring this to the space industry. So as I said, Paul has been uh, the president of Agrippa Consulting for a long time. He had 10 years uh, in various roles at a multinational called DSM. Uh, out of the Netherlands, including, I love this, the last role, Senior Consultant High Performance Culture. That is a pretty snazzy title. Uh, he is a chemical process engineer, very different from the process engineering that I do, which is business process uh, engineering. And he is the author of a couple of books, The Power of Preeminence, which we're going to get into, and I like this one too, How Successful Engineers Become Great Business Leaders. It's not that easy. Thanks for being here, Paul. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, let's get into a discussion here about uh, your education and experience as a chemical process engineer. How has that affected your views, uh, the direction of attack, basically, on business and company or culture change? Yeah. The, um, uh, as you said, I was trained as a chemical engineer. And um, what I realized, and probably that, that's what you realize afterwards, after the training, uh, is that uh, there's a focus on three areas in the training. The first one is you focus on, uh, on process design. Uh, so, you, so you learn how to design a, a process to understand the method to the madness. Uh, the second one is uh, you, uh, you're working with reality principle, uh, which is a very important concept for engineers, uh, because if you don't work with reality principle, then many of the things you do as an engineer will, will fail. And, and the third one is um, uh, that you quickly lo learn to apply accelerated learning, uh, which is to understand also aspects outside of your field of experience, outside of your silo. And I'll give you an example. There are many engineers who, who apply these three things, uh, especially accelerated learning, outside their field. Many engineers who are excellent in marketing, excellent in sales, excellent lawyers, 
But what you see is um, very few lawyers or marketing executives or sales executives becoming an engineer. So, so it's, uh, it's really a strength. So these are three things, the strength, process, thinking, reality, principle, and accelerated learning. And it's very helpful to understand and apply the method to the madness, especially when it comes to building high-performance cultures. Okay, method. <laughs> I love that method. word and process. No. Yes. So, and I'm sure every single one of our listeners and viewers would like to know more about accelerated learning. Um, other than Jay Abraham, who really pounds on about the, the uh, strategy of preeminence, and I've been following him for ridiculously too long, uh, probably 20 years. Um, I think he's got a different take on preeminence, though, than you. You're really the only other person I've seen in the last bunch of years strongly promoting this uh, principle of preeminence. What does the word mean to you? What it means for me is that you um, design uh, design yourself, design your organization uh, to stand apart from all the others, to stand apart like a tall giraffe surrounded by tiny field mice. And the, the image is that um, you are, you're becoming so attractive for the outside world that it's uh, easier to do business with the people who love you uh, in, uh, and doing the things that you love to do. Now, what I've always focused on when we talk about preeminence is uh, a systematic approach of doing it. Uh, so it's um, what I found, it's not a, um, a random shotgun, uh, hopefully things will work out well, but there are certain systems, certain processes, certain ideas, certain habits. Uh, if you start embracing those, uh, you will quickly see that you, you get results and you really move from where you are to where you want to be. Excellent, excellent. Folks, uh Paul here has a couple of TED Talks on YouTube. Uh, you can go and Google him later on as well and, and learn more about this. Um, so as a positioning strategy then, it's very important again to follow a process and, and you're, <laughs> you have that lovely imagery of uh, the, the giant amongst the field mice and that. Um, can you give us an example of how this might work for uh, the execution or delivery side of the, the business? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you uh, if you apply this to, for instance, um, uh, business execution, getting things done, uh, the, the method to the matters here consists of three building blocks. Uh, one, you need clarity uh, to know exactly where you want to go. The second one, you need focus. Uh, there are a million ways of achieving success, but only few uh, will give you energy, will help you get there where you want to be. And the third one, execution. So getting it done. So what is the system to get things done? And once you start focusing on these three elements, clarity, focus, and execution, and you build the habits that belong to getting clarity, that belong to maintaining focus, and that belong to uh, having a consistent execution method, uh, all of a sudden you get a lot of things done, and which are important things that you get done as well. So what I tend to do, I always focus on these three areas, typically when people struggle with execution power, and then I'll take a look at what is missing in the method to the madness, uh, or what is too much. Uh, often we simply need to take things out in order to be successful. So that's mm. typically an example of a method to the madness, a systematic approach of, uh, of getting uh, there to a preeminence. Okay. Now, there's a lot in what you just said. Hey, you talk quickly. <laughs> there's a lot of information delivered in those sentences there. So I, I heard a lot about um, things that bring energy, clarity, focus, and, and, uh, and getting to that execution. Um, how does, how does preeminence impact operations for you? It's, it's, I mean, let, let's dig into some details here. You've offered some theory. Let's, let's hear maybe a practical example of what that looks like in practice. 
Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of what it means in, in practice. Um, and I give you an example when it comes to uh, leadership and operational leadership. Uh, and uh, here's, here's an example in leadership. Uh, preeminence means that um, as a leader, uh, you, uh, you should make a difference between agreements and expectations. Agreements mm. and expectations. What's an agreement? It's something uh, that is... Um, uh, that is clear. That is mutual. There's a time, uh, time, time involvement, uh, timeline, a date. But there's also there's also an escalation uh, process. In other words, if I can't make the agreement, what is it that I'm supposed to do? And every single agreement has those four elements. Yeah? An an expectation is everything else. Yeah? Now, what is preeminence? Preeminence means uh, that you, as a leader, focus on those four elements. Start to build behaviors uh, in your organization that it becomes an agreement organization and you know what's beautiful if you have an agreement organization all of a sudden and not only things are getting done much easier with the least amount of effort uh, but people are attracted to you as well as well uh, clients want to work with you uh, you will attract the right talent and it all of a sudden becomes very easy to become preeminent uh, to move in that direction the, the tall giant idea so that's an example where you can apply the method of preeminence uh, to uh, to an organization Okay, and I, I can see flashes of where this is applied in my own life, uh, where if you get a good agreement in place with people in and outside of your organization and you're all working on a project, things do proceed faster uh, because you all agree to show up when you, when you show up, you, you're there, you know what you're going to work on. It's not a big struggle. And these things sound really simple, but they will hold you up if you don't get that cleared up. So... I heard you a few moments ago say um, the phrase, taking things out. Uh, and, and that came from the clarity and the focus. And I'm going through something right now where I have, we have client work, that's one thing, but I've also got like five or six initiatives that I am working on. And it's too much. And over the last couple of weeks, I've realized my energy is split in too many directions. I'm not getting energy. I'm giving it an I'm getting worn out here. And so I am going to need to strategically quit uh, probably three of these things. And it's not fun, <laughs> but it may be in the future. So you've developed this concept of strategic quitting. Um, tell us what it is, please, and how to apply it. Yeah, uh, this is what strategic quitting uh, is. And it, it connects to, uh, to what I call the Michelangelo principle. If you, uh, if you study history, Michelangelo, the great artist, he, he made, he made uh, the David, uh, one of the greatest sculptures in the world. And the story goes that uh, people asked him, Michelangelo, how did you make the David? And uh, what he said that was interesting. He said, I, uh, I had this big giant piece of marble I imagined the David inside, and then I simply took away everything which was not David. Uh, and that's, that's, that's the great concept of strategic quitting, to take out everything which is not David. And, um, and what it means is, once you have an ambition, a vision, a goal, then imagine what the goal looks like, but also imagine everything which is not part of that goal, and then simply take away everything which is not part of this goal. And that's what I mean with strategic quitting. Often it's much more effective to take out stuff uh, than try to add new stuff. Um, I, I, give you, I give you an example, and I go back to the earlier example. If you, if you talk about agreements, uh, the, agreement, the difference between agreements and expectations, if you want to move to an agreement organization, then simply take out everything uh, which is an expectation. 
So once you realize this is an expectation, okay, take it out of my system and replace it with an agreement. So that's the idea of strategic quitting. Uh, in the end, uh, that's the step that you can make. Okay, my, my mind is changing about this now. This is very interesting, uh, the agreement and expectations, because I'm seeing yeah. mistakes I have made in client work. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where the expectations have been laid out there, but the agreements yeah. haven't been there, and that leads to poor performance, or, or frustration, annoyance, that kind of thing. Very, very interesting. Are there any circumstances, now, now I can think of some, where uh, this would be a bad idea, the strategic <laughs> quitting. <laughs> Probably yeah. when you have agreements <laughs> laid out with people, you don't want to start just quitting. Right. No. Um, uh, strategic quitting is always a good idea. But here's the circumstances where the bad idea, and that's the circumstances where uh, strategic quitting is not strategic, but it's simply quitting. Uh, in other words, you lose sight of the goal and you decided to give up. Now, what's the difference? What's the distinction between the two? Uh, here's the thing. There's a difference between what we call goals and alternatives to achieve those goals. And the trick is to be very persistent and focused on achieving the goals, but be very flexible in the alternatives to achieve the goal. Uh, for example, uh, if I want to travel to New York, I can go by plane, by bike, by boat, by car, and those are all alternatives. Now, I need to be very focused on being in New York, but I can be very flexible in which alternative would work best for me. What strategic quitting is, is to look at the alternatives and move. And once I get stuck with an alternative, simply move to the other alternative, the next alternative, the next alternative. And this is how you can, uh, how you can apply strategic quitting in your own world. So there's a difference between <laughs> strategic quitting and simply quitting. Wow. Okay. I, I'm really getting the sense of the thought process involved here. Um, it, it, it sounds straightforward, but I really want to caution our listeners and viewers that it is not this easy to keep your eye on the ball. As a, well, I, you know, this company, Coldstar, investigates other companies, and you, the divergence between what the founders, owners, managers, leaders think they're doing and yeah. what their people are actually doing is often so broad. It's like they're two different organizations, and, and a lot of the value that we create is in bringing that back into uh, one direction alignment, right, between yeah. what leadership wants to be happening and thinks is happening and what people are actually executing. I, I have a question that's not on our um, sheet here, Paul. How did you choose the name of your uh, company? Ah, the, the name uh, Agrippa. Mm -hmm. uh, Agrippa had an, has an interesting uh, background. Agrippa. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you look at history, yeah. uh, he was the uh, the right hand general of uh, of the first emperor, Emperor uh, Octavianus August. And uh, what happens with with Agrippa? That was an interesting interesting story. He was a brilliant strategic mind. So what he did, he took care of all the stuff that made uh, August the big uh, the big emperor. Yeah. And so he was the guy in the background, the strategic background mind, the mastermind in the background. So I was inspired by that. I thought, well, let's, let's call my company Agrippa and make sure that I operate behind the scenes as well. Because that's my objective in my, uh, in my company. My objective is to make leaders, to make organizations which are already successful, even more successful. Interesting. And, and, you know, I knew the, the Agrippa name from history, but this is another point where you and I are in alignment about being in the background. I want this company, Coldstar, to be the plumbers of the space industry, the infrastructure, the, the boring life. stuff nobody else wants to touch. 
right? And, uh, and I'm perfectly fine with that role. Let others have the rocket launches and the fame and all that stuff, right? Go ahead. So let, let's look at um, high performance culture. Obviously near and dear to your heart, uh, your, your vital work role was, was as that, um, you know, senior consultant, high performance culture, just very cool. What do you mean by that phrase? What I mean by the high performance culture uh, is uh, two things. Uh, first of all, uh, it's typically part of an organization which is in the top 10% of their market of their peers. So they are the top of their, of their organization. And the second part is um, they, they, uh, they are able to be and stay at the top uh, because they know why they are good. So they have built the habits and the behaviors, the culture, so to say, the mindset, habits, behaviors, uh, which will help them to be at the top and stay at the top and that's what i call a a high performance culture so uh, it is it is not only an aspirational thing it's something you can achieve and uh, there are several ways of doing it of doing it so it's not a pipe dream it's not based on luck but it's based on a very systematic approach to uh, to grow your business okay yeah because that was a question i had here isn't this is this just just a pipe dream sold by management consultants um and maybe for 90 percent of the marketplace it kind of is because they're not willing or able to execute on it um, so what what do you provide then with agrippa that enables organizations to move to that top 10 percent and achieve a high performance culture yeah, the, the, my, focus, my focus is always um, uh, once you, uh, I typically work with leaders, uh, senior leaders in an organization. And once you start working with leaders in an organization, uh, if, uh, if you want to develop those leaders, if you want to develop this, that type of organization, it's no longer about skills uh, mm -hmm. because they tend to have the skills. But the difference between uh, a good leader and the best leader, a good organization and best organization, uh, it's behaviors, it's behaviors. Mm -hmm. So what I typically tend to do is uh, I help them uh, with understanding which behaviors are necessary. Uh, then uh, I help them with uh, taking out all the stuff which is not according to living uh, according to these behaviors. So strategic quitting certain behaviors. I call this kryptonite behaviors. And uh, then I help them to role model these behaviors uh, throughout the organization. Because once you start to role model the organization, uh, you see an organization change. Right? The minimum behavior that the leader shows is the maximum behavior that the rest of the organization uh, adopts itself. And uh, this is typically my process where I, uh, I help and consult organizations to go to preeminence. This is Jason Gannigan from Cold Star Tech, and I'm excited to share with you a new offer from Cold Star that we are bringing out to help both space founders and venture capitalists who fund space companies. And it's on two levels. The lower level is a VC who is looking at possibly funding a space company, but they just don't get it, right? And a lot of tech founders want to come out and create some sort of technical capability, but they do not understand business. And so you'll look and you'll go, where's the customer here? Where's the business model? And they'll go, huh? But I want to make rockets or something, right? And, and it's really cool. Well, that, as we know from the dot-com era, is not a viable business model. And so you bring us in. We've got great technical expertise on the space side. Folks who have done this sort of assessment before, like our technical engineering advisor, Dr. Rick Fleeter, myself in the process engineering field, plenty of other people with brains to look at this problem so that you don't have to blow your brains out trying to figure out how to make this work. And on the company side, it's a benefit for them because we will show them the roadmap to how you're going to get funded, how, how you will want to fund them, what changes to make to get VCs excited about 
putting money in. And so that's good for you. The second level is at a deeper and higher level at the same time. It is for venture capitalists who have given a seed round to a company a space company and that has gone on for a little while six months a year something like that and it is time as uh, COVID has made it to double down or get out those are pretty much the choices right it's time to invest further in a thing we already know which seems to be the direction VCs are going in right now uh, they don't seem to want to look at new things uh, or or stop just kill the project and so the good news is in that situation, there's a lot more going on. There's more meat for Cold Star experts to get in and, and analyze, right? You're going to have processes in place, whether they know it or not. We'll be able to flowchart those and, and maybe accurately document them for the first time so we can get some kind of value chain going in the organization. We'll be able to test whether the leadership is the right group of people or whether you're missing something, the strategic direction, the business model, all this stuff. So. If this sounds interesting to you, reach out to us. You can email me at jason at coldstartech.com or just connect with me and message me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to do it. And uh, I am excited to talk to you. The, the kind of transformation that we're able to offer here is beyond anything you'll see out there. And as a VC, this will save you so much time and energy, right? Like if you're a VC and you've got 100 companies to look at, you've got three days a year <laughs> to, to look at each one maybe, right? That's not really good enough, is it? Wouldn't it be better to have uh, experienced, expert space, people who understand space, right? Look at this investment and tell you, here's a grade, right? Here are several grade areas. Is this thing ready to pour gasoline on the fire? Or is it just going to go up in smoke? This is Jason Kanig from Cold Star Tech. Let's get back to the interview. Where do values and principles and vision fit into all this? Because you've talked about behaviors, which I think of as the bottom of the pyramid, right? The, yeah. the, you know, the trickle down. And yeah. I get irate with folks who have, who have spoken up and said, oh, uh, culture is a thing that should just naturally, organically develop. And I think that's crazy. It's like, well, I'll just put my ship out to sea and wherever we drift is, is where we'll end up. And it just, uh, whatever hair I have left, I want to tear that out if I hear that kind of thing. So where do these things fit in for you? Here's a, here's a simple rule. Uh, you will never get the new results that you want from the existing behaviors that you like. Hmm. In other words, if you have a vision, I want to have a new result. Uh, there are uh, two things which are critical to achieve that vision. And that's usually not what people focus on. Uh, usually people focus on the spreadsheets and these are the projects we're going to do and the cool technology we're going to develop, etc., which is all important, but that's not the two things you need to focus on. The first thing you need to focus on is the question, uh, which behaviors do I need in order to be successful? Yeah. Uh, in other words, what is it that I need to change in myself, in my organization, uh, from a behavioral point of view, in order to get there? So that's the first question. And once you start to answer that question, well, we need to do this or this or this, uh, these are typically behaviors. Then once you start working on those behaviors, you automatically start to achieve the vision, achieve the goal. So that's one thing. It must be a conscious process. You can also make it subconscious or con unconscious uh, as it happens, but then your failure rate will be much bigger. So that's one thing. The second thing you need to ask once you've got a vision is what is it that we need to quit? Strategically quit. Uh, in other words, what is it that we are doing right now, uh, which is no longer part of that vision, which we need to take out in order to release the time and the money and the energy which we need in order to build this new vision. 
And uh, that's a funny thing. And eh? whenever I work with companies and I look at strategy, uh, those are the two big, big items, the most important items often missing. Uh, orders that we're going to quit because usually we do things on top of uh, which is a recipe of failure and the second thing which is often missing is uh, which behaviors are we going to build huh. I, I, I'm remembering back from your TED talk where you have mentioned uh, what what companies do when they get into trouble or even individuals when they get into trouble is the tendency is to want to pour on more of the same but right. as you've explained that's a problem uh, and they the issue is you're kind of good at it and you like it because you're kind of good at it. But the problem is treading on that hamster wheel even faster is not going to get you anywhere. It's still not, it hasn't gotten you anywhere and it's not going to. So you actually, uh, you, you actually have to stop doing that. So when you say, what are the, what are the new behaviors that the organization needs to do to move forward? That may sound once again, like a, a simple thing, but it's not. Right? Like, how are you supposed to arrive at an understanding when you're in a, like, that's in the I don't know what I don't know realm to me, hmm. right? What behaviors do I need to adopt in order to achieve? So I, I guess you've got to go to the new vision and back out to the behaviors, or maybe then it's time to call in some expertise or something, hmm. hire some consultants, hire some experts to show you how to achieve or model an organization that's doing what you want to do. Hopefully there, there are two practical ways of doing yeah. this. Uh, because if you adopt that mindset, uh, that's the first step. Mm. Right, we need to work on the behavior. So that's the first step. And there are two ways to do this. The first way is the, the simple and fast way. And the simple and fast way is simply, um, I, I, I put you in a time machine five years from now. Okay. And um, I, uh, you and I, we take a tour through the company. We walk the company. And then we look at what people do, how they behave, what they do different, what you do differently. And this will inform you perfectly what the new behaviors are going to be. And so once you have this little time machine thing, the behaviors become clear. So that's, that's the, the short one. Uh, here's, the, here's the more advanced one. Uh, and that's uh, what, what I typically do with management teams. I conduct a, what we call a, a pre-mortem exercise, pre-mortem exercise. And what is a pre-mortem exercise? It's the opposite of a post-mortem exercise, mm -hmm. where you look at the body and say, how did it die? You look at the, the bankrupt company, how did it go bankrupt? No, no. Pre-mortem, you say, imagine five years from now. And this company has failed so spectacularly that the Harvard Business Review is sending journalists to you to interview what happened. What happened? And uh, you're sitting here and you, you, you give an answer to this, to this journalist. So what is it that you're going to tell the journalist? And the funny thing is, once you ask that question to a management team, they will know. They will tell you, listen, uh, we had the technology in place, but uh, we didn't build an organization focused on customer intimacy. Hmm. Or uh, we were so gung-ho in, uh, in moving quickly uh, that uh, we, uh, we had the mindset is we can do it ourselves. We don't need any expert. Hmm. Or uh, we had a great vision, but we completely lacked the execution power and the follow-up, the leadership behavior follow-up to make things happen. And this, and this, uh, this set of answers will tell you immediately, ah, these are the behaviors that we need to build as well. Hmm. So, so two very practical, very powerful strategies. First of all, the time machine, and the second one is the pre-mortem exercise. Yeah. yeah, I really like the second one. The first one I'm a little wary of, of like, <laughs> that's still in the don't know what you don't know. But on the other hand, um, you said earlier that skills are not a problem, that the, that the leadership usually has the skill set. It's the question of what's, how, how it's applied. 
And so, as you say, if you can identify what is missing, you can always go outside and get that or develop it in, in some way or another. Absolutely. Skills in the end is a, a commodity and building skills is mm -hmm. important. But if you can't build it yourself, go outside. Uh, the trick is behaviors because that is how you take the next step in any organization. Okay. How dependent on, on um, hiring great people is a high performance culture? We hear a lot about A, B, C performers and you should get rid of the low hanging fruit, or, you know, oh. the dead wood and all that. Is that really the case that some people are just C players and always will be? Or is it because they haven't been engaged properly by the culture of the organization? Uh, it, it can be a couple of things. Now, uh, let me let me uh, focus on the, your point about about hiring. Uh, there, there are two two different different things I look at when you hire. First of all, do they have the skill set? Huh? Can they can they be applied, or do I have to train to uh, to to bring them up to speed? And the second thing is, do they have the mindset? In other words, mm. is, is uh, uh, do they realize it's their behaviors which make a difference? What I have found is that especially professionals. Uh, building skills is relatively easy. Uh, when people are motivated, skill building, it, it can be done quickly. Uh, exceptions are there, of course. Huh? I mean, deep mathematical skills, it takes a lot of time. But generally speaking, skills are being built uh, quickly. Uh, the mindset, on the other hand, is much more difficult to uh, engage. So my preference is always to hire based on mindset, huh? because you can, you can build skills. Huh? Um, so, so that would be my first remark when it comes to hiring people. Now, the second thing is how important is hiring people well, here's the thing. Uh, what happens, especially for leaders, is that uh, leadership in companies can be a very lonely affair. It can be a very lonely affair. Because where's the success environment uh, where you can uh, cry or test ideas uh, without losing face, without losing connection with your organization? Uh, so the trick is to hire people which will also help you to build a success environment internally. Uh, internal success environment and if you combine it with building an external success environment uh, you are ready to succeed as a leader so that's the second reason why hiring good people or excellent people uh, is a good thing a good thing to do awesome well that answered my question <laughs> so, good good stuff there um Let's talk about managing change. I, 2016, I spent most of that year working with a Dutch change management consultant. All we did was uh, deal with companies of a thousand people or more. Um, speaking of which, I'm going to ask you later who, who your ideal customer is. Uh, but um, is, is managing change even a term that you use? I, I, I never use managing change. Yeah, and okay. uh, the reason is that uh, change is everywhere and managing itself becomes a bit of an oxymoron. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, we manage change even if we brush our, uh, brush our teeth, right? So, so it, is a, it is a term without meaning. Uh, the, the term which I tend to use is building high performance organizations mm -hmm. uh, because uh, that is much more aspirational. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not only that we, that we want, to, want to get rid of the status quo, but we want to go to the next level and not only the next level, but really in the top 10%. So that's typically the aspirational term I use. And, uh, and that uh, immediately, immediately connects to those people who want to take the next step. And, uh, and I'll, I'll be tired of the status quo. Okay, so <laughs> we've already covered what the framework looks like for that. Yeah. Um, let's, let's finish up then with some, some <laughs> whatever you feel like sharing, you know, with confidentiality and compliance and all that stuff. I would love to hear some horror stories or at least one terrible story <laughs> so that people can hear what red flags sound like, right? Uh, and also maybe a success or two in the field. 
Yeah, yeah. The, 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 well, uh, he, he had horror stories. The horror stories, uh, and, uh, and, and I go very early to my career. Uh, I, I, was an, I, I, I was an engineer, and um, I, I was a very linear thinking, right? Linear thinker. And as a linear thinker, I was, uh, I was managing change processes in, in, in a manufacturing plant. And I did this in a very, very structural way, like engineers do, with Excel, with Excel. And uh, the horror story is, I told my boss, listen, we, we have 100 manageable change and we have a huge backlog. And with this Excel sheet, I, I, I looked at the resources, we can make it, we can make it happen. And so four weeks time, it's done. Four weeks later, I had to go back to my boss and said, the list has increased. So we haven't decreased, it has increased. So huge failure. And the reason that it failed, and that was a big lesson for me, the reason that it failed is on paper, it looked great. Uh, great process, uh, Excel management, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the key element, which was the behaviors, I did not touch. I did not touch. I assumed that if I would say, let's go, we all have the behaviors, and after today we are ready, everyone will be ready. But this is not how the world, the world works. Yeah? So uh, humans are, are different from, um, from process engineer equipment that's a very good lesson that i learned that's so that's a bit of a horror story but again there's a silver lining there because i never made that mistake now he yeah, has success stories uh, success stories uh and uh, and and uh, and I'll, I'll give you one uh, i was working with a uh, a company uh, and uh, they were stuck they were stuck they, they were doing well but they were stuck at a, at a certain plateau uh, so we were looking at the business on a strategic level and then i introduced the concept of preeminence and i said what would it take to take the next step what would it take to take the next step and uh, then they realized what it take to take the next step uh, was not only behavior but especially strategic quitting they needed to have the courage to get rid of the work which was easy which was profitable but was not part of their vision anymore so what we did is we uh, devised a plan uh, to get rid of the bottom 20 or 25 customers uh, to fire those you can fire customers right and it was a daring move and uh, people were scared but we did well we introduced them to the competitor so we didn't it was not blunt we didn't fire we introduced it to the competitor uh, and all of a sudden, this would be so much energy and time that they started to uh, to cater to their best customers, but also find customers which were even better than their best customers. And this is how they massively grew. Right? Within two or three years, they, they doubled they doubled the revenue simply with this courageous uh, with this courageous uh, approach. So this is an example of of how you apply a strong concept of strategic quitting to really improve a business. Excellent. I, I will echo both those things. When I was a, I was a plant manager when I was 25 and I didn't give a damn about people's feelings. <laughs> if there was a new system or something to be used, that's what we were doing. And uh, I just ran over people and yeah, you can imagine how, how well that went. I've learned to soften <laughs> over the years and get buy-in and I'm much more on the, okay, let's make a sale first and get them, get them in, you know, on the vision. Uh, and have it be their vision, not not mine, you know. Uh, and then on the strategic quitting side, I've seen that and also help people with it. And uh, yeah, as you say, there's the fear in the beginning of, oh my gosh, we've got this baseline of revenue and customers and work type, and we know that and we're comfortable with it. The problem is you don't get to a higher level by sticking with what's comfortable. Uh, and in every case, when they fired that lower level of customer that no longer fit their vision, it opened up the room and the new 
it's like it's like the nature of pours a vacuum paul knows this i'm explaining it for our <laughs> listeners and viewers the new customers the type that you want come rushing in it is the darndest thing i've seen it over and over again and and so fast so i'm excited for for clients for agrippa uh, or of agrippa so that they can experience that that kind of transport transformation um paul what kind of things are our leaders saying and doing what kind of organizations are they at uh, that that would be a good signal that they should be talking to you the, the, uh, there are a couple of there are a couple of signs um, uh, the first sign is um, uh, typically those organizations which are doing well uh, and leaders which are doing well but want to take the next step uh, so so they build on successes so, so that's the first sign the second sign is that they are very much aware of their strength uh so so they build on their strength they are they, they don't have the ambition to somehow compensate their weaknesses no no these are our strengths we want to become better at what we do so that's the second sign and the third sign is um they understand that the next step is about uh behaviors uh, taking the next step in behaviors and they especially uh tend to be open to um sometimes very uncomfortable feedback uh, regarding their behaviors uh I I mentioned earlier, if you want to help, especially senior executives, senior leaders in organizations with their behaviors, it's more about taking out stuff, taking out the behaviors which are not helpful, uh, which, which basically mask their strength. Uh, for example, um, uh, I sometimes work with leaders who, um, uh, uh, who are bad at listening. So they, uh, they, they, listen, they listen to reply instead of understanding. Uh, I sometimes uh, see um, uh, see leaders uh, who who add too much value, add too much value. Uh, in other words, they, they are so enthusiastic, they are so focused, they are so can do gung hao that whenever there's an opportunity to add value, to add their voice, they do this, and they also do this at uh, at moments where it is not necessary and it destroys commitment. Uh, imagine you have you have a great idea come to your boss and your boss says it's a great idea, but if you do this differently, it would be even better, which is irrelevant but the boss thinks i'm the boss i need to do something then what happens all of a sudden commitment with, to, to this idea uh, drops yeah. so right. the trick for those leaders is to simply stop with this type of behavior uh, so uh, they, they have to be what i call open to executive babysitting uh, where i uh, i simply tell them stop doing this stop it uh, because you will be much more powerful much more effective if you simply stop doing this stupid stuff and, and they, they need to be open to that one. Uh, they need to be open to understand, if I want to grow, uh, this is where I need to stop, this is where I need to role model, and I need to be open to, uh, to feedback and making it happen. So, so uh, that, that, is, that is typically a third characteristic of uh, leaders and organizations I love to work with. Excellent, yes. And I've noticed that you do stop <laughs> when, when you're done saying your thing. Uh, and and that, the thing, that thing is, I'm going to do it now. <laughs> it's called painting seagulls in the, in the Sandler sales training, painting seagulls into somebody else's picture. Oh, that's a nice painting you've done there, Paul. It would be nice if there were some, some seagulls in it. Well, I didn't ask for those. I didn't want them, said Paul. And, uh, and now I don't like the painting. So... <laughs> <laughs> or the vision. So this has been really, really good. Uh, I, I'm going to share this a lot. Um, I, I recommend people pick up your books, The Power of Preeminence, and also How Successful Engineers Become Great Business Leaders. Uh, those are on Amazon and eBay. Uh, and you've got your, your website, Paul Rolkins, president of Agrippa Consulting. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. It was a great pleasure.
This is Jason Canningham from Cold Star Tech. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do want to get email notifications of upcoming episodes or episodes that have just been released, and maybe a little news sprinkled in here and there, you can sign up for email notifications at coldstartech.com slash MSB. That's short for Make Space Boring. That's another little show that I do. It's uh, once, twice, three times a week, something like that. Anytime there's news or uh, an update on who I'm meeting and, and what I'm uh, studying in the space field. So you can go check that out. On the YouTube channel, I can do something that I cannot do on uh, Anchor for the audio only uh, side of things. The YouTube channel allows me to have playlists. And so you might want to go to the channel, the Cold Star Tech channel, and check out those playlists because you will find, you can go down a rabbit hole basically into several areas like space law and policy, uh, small sats. And I think that's a lot easier than trying to scroll through 130 episodes or something like that, <laughs> looking for the thing that you want. So I recommend going and checking that out. And remember, if you're ready to take your space business to the next level or you're a VC looking for a deep and very valuable insight into a space company you're looking at investing in or investing further in, come and talk to us. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.